If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. You know, some days are easier than others, isn't it? Isn't that so for all of us? I, I just can't believe so many otherwise intelligent people are so unbelievably stupid. Last Thursday at DeploymentCigars.com, we had one of our virtual deployments, which is a an evening where guys will sign up. They'll purchase a kit online. We send them a kit. It's got different bourbons we're going to taste or scotch or whatever the tasting is going to be. It's got different cigars. It's got a little mat with a tasting notes it's, they can write, et cetera. And it's just a lot of fun. We do it via Zoom call, and it's just a way for guys to get together virtually when we all can't together get together in a big group because we're spread all over the country, right? Well, at the event out in Ohio, as we had eight or 10 guys at, at somebody's house in Ohio, and the, the host there at some point in the evening, I found out about this this weekend, referred to Donald Trump as a criminal. This isn't only a very intelligent man. This is a man on active duty in the military as a very high-ranking officer. And I just, Donald Trump a criminal? Name his crimes. Exactly what are his crimes? I know he's been criminally indicted. You can indict a ham sandwich. The fact that he's been criminally indicted in one instance under a suit that all under a law that only provides civil penalties. But Donald Trump's a criminal. And for that, you're you're all excited about Vivek and the Three Stooges. I mean, you got Humpty Lumpty, Nikki, who the only person Nikki loves is Nikki. I, I told you I, she lost me opening night of CPAC 2020. She hosted the cocktail reception, the welcome reception. Donald Trump is the keynote speaker on sa uh, Saturday, and he's the incumbent president running for re-election. And, and you're going to make the opening reception at CPAC all about you, Nikki? No, no. I've had enough narcissistic women in my life. I don't need another thank you very much. And... What can one say about Ron disappoints us that hasn't already been said? And I'll just leave that right there. And I posited last week, what if Vivek's mission in appearing at these debates, which by the way, the GOP has finally realized the error of their ways and they're no longer going to be sponsoring these. So I guess the, the two remaining that are scheduled at CNN are going to be just total CNN hatchet jobs. But Vivek has gone in with a freaking flamethrower and torched them. He's torched everybody in those debates. Moderators, fellow candidates, and in one instance, someone sitting in the office, uh, audience. That's right, Ronna McDaniel herself. Saw a great meme today. It was a little, you know those, those uh, uh, Magi? characters, those Japanese cartoon characters. It was one of those little big-eyed 
little children huddling underneath a desk. And it said GOP. And there was the Terminator with a flamethrower and over the Terminator's head. It said Vivek. And that's pretty much it. He's just gone in there like a bull in a china shop. And it's been fun to see. Well, now is Vivek going to be president? No, at least not this cycle. I originally thought that he was, you know, campaigning to be a cabinet secretary. I think he'd be an amazing commerce secretary. Someone said a few weeks ago he'd be pillar in the press room. I agree. He'd be an amazing press secretary. Other people have touted him for vice president and whatnot, and we'll see. But, man, I'd like to see him running the GOP. That would be excellent. That's a GOP I would actually get people to donate money to. But Donald Trump's a criminal? I mean, how can somebody with enough smarts to make lieutenant colonel in the mil in the military how can he dismiss donald trump i could never vote for that criminal that was the exact comment i could never vote for that criminal are you kidding me the man who gave us the best economy in over a generation the man who did more for black americans than any president in modern history and the man who did more for Hispanics than any president in modern history. It's just, it, it, it boggles the mind. Some days I just can't. I'm Timothy Shea, and this is The Reckoning. At TNT Radio, we never go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what. We've got you covered on TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day, and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So the live free or die state, apparently somebody wants to die. Federal authorities have charged a New Hampshire resident with threatening to kill Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy and target other attendees at a Monday morning campaign event. Here with the story joining me now is TNT radio news producer, Adam Clark, AKA Ruckus. Thanks, Timothy. I think I've mentioned before on this show that I was actually born and raised in New Hampshire. Um, yes. So yeah. I was uh, looking for your name actually. I was glad to see that it wasn't <laughs> no, you. I'm glad to see it I wasn't my son. <laughs> I haven't I haven't been there in a long time. Uh, according to the charging documents that were filed on December 9th, Mr. Anderson, he's got an interesting name too, if you're a Matrix fan, uh, received a can uh, this is I'm oh, sorry, let me back up. It was just today, the U.S. Department of Justice announced federal authorities had arrested a 30-year-old by the name of Tyler Anderson uh, of Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, Mr. Anderson made his initial appearance in federal court in Concord, New Hampshire. That's the state capital where I was born on charges of transmitting an interstate threat to harm. So now, according to the charging documents, which were filed on December 9th, Mr. Anderson received a campaign text message uh, the day prior on December 8th, notifying him of a campaign event in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, uh, which was to take place on December 11th today. Uh, he is alleged to have sent a response to the text stating, quote, great, another opportunity for me to blow his brains out, end quote. Yikes. 
And then later on, a second text stating, quote, I'm going to kill everyone who attends and then bleep their corpses, end quote. Very clearly a demented individual, this Mr. Anderson. While the charging documents did not specify which presidential campaign was involved, what's going on, but Mr. Ramaswamy's campaign team jumped forward and identified itself as the recipient of the threatening text messages. The campaign determined that the threatening texts came from a number that corresponds with a Dover address and in turn notified the Dover Police Department. The FBI was subsequently notified, executed a search warrant at the Dover address on December 9th and arrested Mr. Anderson. Gee, you mean the FBI can move quick when they want to? This I'm shocked. Uh, according to the charging documents, FBI agents who seized Mr. Anderson's phone were able to find a deleted folder with messages that matched the threats that the Ramaswamy campaign had received. An FBI agent found another series of messages on the phone from December 6th that included threatening remarks to another unspecified presidential campaign regarding a different upcoming event. Quote, fantastic. Now I know where to go so I can blow that bleeping's head off, end quote. Read one of the December 6th messages from Mr. Anderson's seized phone, according to the charging documents. Quote, thanks, I'll see you there. Hope you have the stamina for a mass shooting, end quote. That was a second message. A third message, these are the ones from December 6th, read, quote, and then I'm going to bleep, 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 redacted corpse end quote don't even want to know uh then there was a fourth message that read quote and don't worry redacted that we don't know what he said quote make sure to bleep yours too end quote i think they're hiding who or what this other uh threat was involving according to the charging documents mr anderson signed a miranda rights waiver and admitted to investigators that he'd sent threatening messages to multiple campaigns. With the current charges, the New Hampshire man faces up to five years in prison, up to three years of supervised release, and a fine of up to $250,000. An attorney representing Mr. Anderson did not respond to, well, pretty much any of the sources I have in front of me by press time. Uh, Mr. Ramaswamy's campaign, however, did issue a statement uh, to multiple outlets uh let's see they said quote we are grateful to law enforcement for their swiftness and professionalism in handling this matter end quote while the charging documents did not describe a potential motive for the threatening text message is mr ramaswamy's team tied the threats to politically charged rhetoric targeting conservatives and people on the political right mr ramaswamy's campaign said quote we're going to let the investigators do their work and figure out who this person is and what their motives might be. We will, however, say this. We constantly hear about the Jan 6 Capitol riot in 2021 and, quote unquote, violence and, quote unquote, extremism on the right from the media. But the same media goes silent when the target is a Republican, end quote. The campaign said that, quote, deranged voices and left wing cranks, end quote, routinely demonize Republicans and question their loyalty to the United States. The statement from the campaign uh, finally says, quote, it's no wonder that fanatics will take action whenever it's some nut with alleged right wing views. The media is quick to blame all conservatives for stoking violence. Yet 
The media never looks in the mirror and sees that they stoke hatred and violence by questioning our patriotism and motives and accusing us of undermining democracy. Well, I think that pretty much said it all, Timothy. Um, what, what do you say? Well, first of all, I want to say it sounds as though this gentleman was either under the influence of some chemical substance. I mean, who I, I can see a lapse of judgment, maybe sending one of those texts back if you're annoyed at getting texts. I always, you know, when I get texts from WinRed, I always harass them in response, but not with death threats. I say I will I will donate once Ronald McDaniel steps down and things like that. So I can understand getting annoyed at text, but but to make a death threat in response and not just one, but four. That to me smacks of someone who is under some licit or illicit uh, intoxicants or has a serious mental condition or both. And. Although it's no joking matter, of course, I'm going to joke because that's just what we do here. I mean, if it had been Donald Trump that had been the target of it, do you think FBI would have moved so fast? Of course they wouldn't have. There would have been an attempt, and God forbid, if it were successful, the only thing we would learn was that the man was known to the FBI, that he was on one of their watch lists because that's the way it works. And you're absolutely right about the media's hypocrisy. Remember that time that Donald Trump said that people shouldn't, Democrats shouldn't be able to go into restaurants, that if you saw a Democrat in a restaurant, you should just hound them out of there. Oh, wait, no, that was Maxine Waters. And then when it finally happened in Virginia to Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her family, the media had no problem with that. Well, luckily, what goes around comes around, and that restaurant ended up closing. But you're 100% correct, Adam. You know, the media are despicable in their hypocrisy, their double standards, and their refusal to accept responsibility for a major part of the division in our country today. And de de you said it. He said it. That's the big point. Th this serves such a this is such a oh, my goodness, Timothy, these people need some new tricks. I'm getting bored of it already. Right. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> they, they do this they'll mass shooting. One. I mean, something will happen and it's literally you'll see the post mass shooting in three, two. And then the next day or that day, there's a mass shooting. I mean, come on, get a new playbook. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and then they'll, they'll the way they spin it is is to serve the same purpose. That's why they do it both ways like that is they'll they um they they they'll whip up everybody into thinking that the one side is lunatics, the right, right? And then at the same time they'll underreport on purpose when it's not a right-wing nut and it's a left-wing nut because it's not lost on the the right-wing side. So the the conservatives like, "Hey, wait a minute." And then it just further adds to the same ultimate goal, which is the the division, you know, exactly. And I guarantee you, this man was not a Trump supporter, you know, because you think, well, maybe a Trump supporter is angry at the other Republicans running for. No, no, no. He's not a Trump supporter. And you know how we know? Because we'd already know his name, his race, everything about him. Right. And that's not the case. So this guy probably is a left wing wacko and we'll never learn anything about him, just like the transfesto in Memphis. And if anybody leaks any information on him, 
they're the ones that are going to be prosecuted, just like the officer that leaked the transfesto in Nashville. Yeah, well, we got this guy's name. We know where he lives. I'm sure people are already. Anderson. That's uh, right. Anderson. Yeah. 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 So people are probably it's early reporting by now. Um, you know, tomorrow there'll probably be a bunch of reports that show all of the crazy things he said on his Facebook page, Timothy. I hope so. I I'd like to see some, you know, I'd like to see journalists actually commit journalism for a change. But well, it sounds star, Adam, guess, it sounds like this, it, it sounds like the yeah, it sounds like this story is based solely on the charging document. Somebody got a hold of the police report and is reporting what's on the police report that you know the media hasn't done any investigation on this. The proper media, you know, the mainstream media. I think it's mainly Vivek's um campaign that are campaign, staying on top yeah. of this. Yeah. Yeah. So so there you have it. Thanks for a great story. Kick us off on another week here on The Reckoning on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Chris Smith. Despite being used to protect travellers from terrorists, hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board, and this has been going on since 1961, they won't be around this Thanksgiving. None of them. Air marshals were always meant to be invisible. Well, you can guarantee that this Thanksgiving. Ironically, the Biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties, leaving the passengers they were meant to guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California years. has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. You know, 99.8% survival, rather than the three or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. When the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. 
We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. mind is like a computer. No matter how efficient it may be, its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. Dr. Pierre Corey is the co-founder and president of Frontline Critical Care Alliance. He's a leading critical care physician, renowned pulmonologist, teacher, and medical researcher. Dr. Corey is the former chief of the Critical Care Service and medical director of the Trauma and Life Support Center at the University of Wisconsin. He's considered one of the world's pioneers in the use of ultrasound in the diagnostic diagnosis and treatment of critically ill patients. We'd like to welcome back to The Reckoning our good friend, Dr. Pierre Corey. Great. Thanks for having me back. Pierre, I'm glad to see that you made it out of the United Kingdom alive last Monday. You were a member of the Rogues Gallery there in uh, Houses of Parliament. You had Dr. Robert Malone, you, Dr. Ryan Cole, Professor Angus Daglish, Steve Kirsch, Dr. David Martin. Wanted to tell us why you were there and what happened during the during the event. Yeah, well, you know, why we're there, it's really to credit of uh, MP Andrew Bridget. You know, he is, uh, the UK is unique in COVID in that, in terms of politicians, he, he's literally alone in that whole government yeah. calling out yeah. all the corruption and fraud. And, and so all of the attacks on him, and you, you see the UK media just go after Andrew, you know, for conspiracy theorists and being dangerous and an anti-vaxxer. And he's really just following the data. But, um, you know, he invited us because he's been uh, successful at getting hearings in Parliament. Now, this wasn't a hearing, but he's had hearings on excess deaths. Um, but here, this was a meeting in Parliament, and it's kind of interesting. You should know the background before I tell you what happened. But, yes, you know, please. leading up to that meeting, you know, the Telegraph put out a hit piece a week before calling all, all of us discredited conspiracy theorists, you know, that he's inviting us to Parliament. And then when they assigned him a room, originally it had an audience of 300, then it turned to 75, and then ultimately only like 30 or 40 people were in the room. The room was situated in a way such that you couldn't really see the speaker and the slides at the same time. The, the slides were on like one little TV. They disallowed any streaming or filming. Now we still film with, with cell phones, but uh, you can tell they really didn't want this meeting to happen. And, um, but I thought it was really powerful. You know, all the speakers, I guess there was about seven or eight of us, um, you know, were kept to 10 minutes. I think we largely kept to that. And it made the talks really potent. Um, you know, we all distilled, you know, our areas of expertise and what we thought went wrong and what we need to do for the future. And uh, I think those messages came across uh, really well. For me, Tim, the, the things that stand out, I, I thought Steve Kirsch's talk was absolutely phenomenal. Um, 
uh, Robert Malone's and then Angus Dalgleish, uh, they stood out. I mean, the rest are all, all powerful speakers, but the, their messages were, were really great. Um, and uh, so I was I was honored to be part of it. Well, as was yours. And I, like you said, 10 minutes really clarifies the mind. And I think you all did an outstanding job of distilling your main talking points down into that time period. And of course, each of you could have given a two or three hour symposium with all the oh, yeah. all the data underlying all the bullet points you were giving. It was, you know, the almost it was like a um, it was like the sampler pack of, of COVID-19 information. Right. You could you get the sampler pack and then you can then you can get on the full kit on auto ship. And, you know, come to think of it, Pierre, that might make an outstanding DVD. Each of you giving your 10 minute presentation, but then recording something that's a little longer with full slides and all the detail and able to explain to people exactly why the bullet points you're, you've made are so important. Because I'll tell you right now what the media is going to do is they're going to just look at the bullet reports. Oh, Pierre, Dr. Pierre Corey made outrageous claims at the Houses of Parliament and provided absolutely no underlying data. <laughs> well, yep. Yeah, he had 10 minutes. No, you know, and and here's the thing: it's it's so um, it's so unfortunate. So you got to see a couple of the videos, right? Yes. Right now, um, Andrew Bridge and one of his uh, colleagues or person on his team is trying to make uh, the testimonies into a, a real video using patched together cell phone footage and then splicing in the slides so that people can see the slides and the data that we were because we were many of us. Rob Robert uh, Malone spoke extemporaneously, but the rest of us. Um, use slides and a presentation yeah yeah and so you know the audio is not good the the the, the you know the camera shakes a little bit so it, it it has this gorilla feel to it but it was um it was as honest and sincere and, and i mean there's some heavy hitters you know i have to call out um you know angus dalgleish is like this major celebrated yeah. you know cancer researcher he's a full professor i mean he he's he worked on developing hiv vaccines he knows everything about vaccines and I thought it gave uh, his talk just immense credibility. He's an affable guy. He's kind of humorous. And, you know, he explained so succinctly how scientifically absurd it was to use this mRNA technology with, you know, producing the spike protein as a vaccine. And, and right. you know, a couple other scientists have done that, like Geert van den Bosch. But I thought Angus did it in a really kind of uh, concise, um, you know, clear way. Um, and I, that's why I thought his, his talk stood out. Well, the whole thing has been a scientific absurdity from start to finish. We're going to get into that a little bit more after the news. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio. Now, I've got, I've got good news and, and bad news. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Special Counsel Jack Smith has approached the Supreme Court to decide on the possibility of prosecuting former President Donald Trump for his actions aimed at reversing the results of the 2020 election. The Safety of Rwanda Asylum and Immigration Bill faces a critical vote in the House of Commons on Tuesday. In the midst of the ongoing discussion around this bill, Conservative MP Daniel Kaczynski has raised concerns about the choice of Rwanda as a destination for asylum seekers. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Pierre, you, you mentioned the scientific absurdity that Professor Angus, Angus Daglish addressed. 
This whole thing from start to finish has been a scientific absurdity. What tipped me off, it was early, early, early days. I knew we were in for a flood of nonsense for two reasons. Number one, they kept calling it in the media, the coronavirus. Like it was the one and only, there'd never been another. It was the, the novel coronavirus. It was oh, something new and a existential threat to humanity. I literally had someone scream at me in all caps on Facebook before I was given a permanent life ban that this is, what part of this is aerosolized Ebola do you not understand, moron? And of course he spelled moron wrong. So that tells you, you know, he got his PhD at the University of Facebook. But everything has been a scientific absurdity from the R. The other thing that tipped me off is the R naught value. You know, for those that yeah. don't know, R naught value is a measure of the infectiousness of a pathogen. It's how many people got sick over how many people were exposed. Well, there was no test to determine whether if you were sick, you were sick because of this virus. And there was no way to know the denominator, no way to even yeah. estimate how many people had been exposed. And yet every single night they push the fear porn, the R naught value, the R naught value, the R naught value. I guarantee you the media people saying it didn't understand the mathematics or the science behind it. And they didn't care because it was just fear porn. And it exactly. was that mask were a scientific absurdity, lockdowns, six feet, everything in the COVID scandemic was a scientific absurdity from literally from start to finish. Yeah. You know, that's a point I've made um, in, in my journey and in, in many interviews I've, you know, for me, you know, I, you know, in my book, I wrote the book of uh, the war on ivermectin and it, you know, I, I really, that's a book that really highlights and analyzes the disinformation campaign against ivermectin, but it's also a biography kind of. Um, yeah. I trace my journey of discovery. Like, so you you knew early on that this was BS and hyped up and fear porn. And you know, there there are quite a few people who understood exactly what was happening. I didn't. I took this seriously. I I mean, well, it, it was serious, especially for me as a pulmonary critical care doctor. I mean, I, I saw sure. so many dying patients. But you know, the the divorcing from the science is what really started to open my eyes that there was something going on. There's some real serious fraud and corruption because. The, the, the governments were doing things that were so brazen and blatantly divorced from any scientific rationale. And like the first thing, and I woke up slowly, I got to tell you, I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer because when I look back to how long it took me to realize what was going on, but it really started with one day I was in my car, it was March of 2020. And I hear the, the radio uh, announcer say that the FDA had just made a decision to restrict hydroxychloroquine to the hospitalized patients. And I remember it was in my car, I was like, what do you mean? What, who would do that? If it, let's say you didn't know if it worked or not. Let's say you didn't know if it worked or not. But if you were gonna use it, you're gonna use it because it was an antiviral. We all know antivirals you need to use within the first day or two of symptoms. You don't wait till day eight or 10 when they're in the hospital. And I was like, that makes no sense. I was like, what's wrong with them? They're I used to think that they were being stupid, Tim. I thought they were just like, just not very smart and not clinically savvy. And I was like, I don't know who these people are making decisions, but they're stupid. At least that's what I used to think. And then my second big, big wake up where I was like, I knew the fix was in and this was completely non-scientific is when the vaccines rolled out. I had colleagues who were internists, general, you know, GPs, 
and they were measuring antibodies in their patients before offering them the vaccine, or they were taking a history, have you had COVID before? And then the FDA put on their website that there's no evidence to suggest that checking antibodies before vaccination has any value, um, and or having a natural history of COVID uh, is a contraindication to the vaccine. And I was like, wait a second, they're literally trying to disappear the notion of natural immunity that, that you, we're vaccinating people who just recovered from the disease we're vaccinating against. I mean, it was that is the most scientifically absurd of, out of everything because it's the most ridiculous. And so they disappeared natural immunity overnight. And that's when I was like, wait a second. I know what they're doing. They're trying to preserve the market share or, or the mm -hmm. size of the market. They want every arm jab. They don't care. This isn't about science. This is about jabbing arms. And, and that's that kind of opened everything else up after that. It was about jabbing arms with taxpayer money. It represented the largest transfer of public money to private pockets in the history of history. Yep. And, you know, it, it's amazing, isn't it, how Pfizer had just been docked with a $2.3 billion fine just a few years before. And now all of a sudden they've made many multiples of that back. It's almost like, okay, Pfizer, pay this fine. We'll catch you on the back end. Don't worry about it. You'll be made whole and then some. That's that, Tim, that's a good point. You know, another point I want to make is, um, I mean, we could probably trade like absurdities for two hours of the COVID pandemic, but for me, was the mouthpiece and the megaphones that CEOs of pharmaceutical companies were given. Suddenly, we have CEOs of pharmaceutical companies who are literally being presented as public health experts. Like, yeah. like it wasn't too long, it was about six months ago, I think it was um, the four, or one of the board members of Pfizer was literally given an hour long program on CNN. Like literally a news station interviewing a CEO of a pharmaceutical Even worse company. than that, Testifying to Congress is what the proper response to the pandemic should be. Proper response to the pandemic is you all need to use our drugs. I mean, that's yep. pretty much what it boiled down to. It, it, it's so, and, and and the world, so much of the world went along with it. And, I, and I'm just seeing more and more absurd and brazen things. But, but yeah, the, this elevation of pharmaceutical companies that, you know, Pfizer says this, Merck says that, and everybody's doing it. And I'm like, wait, I, what happened to the old left? You know, where we, we were against big pharma, big corporations. Now suddenly, like, we're cheering on our pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, it's everything yeah. was upside down and backwards from beginning to end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the UK Parliament, Tim, that was um, the other aspect, which I didn't mention is so I've spoken in a number of parliaments and they've all been kind of weird. Like I was in the European Parliament in the spring and right. that's a huge body. And you know how many MPs showed up? It was like six. You know, I out was going to say five or six. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Out and, of, and out most of hundreds. Were, yeah. yeah. Most of them were involved in, in creating the hearing. But you know, I, we did have a thought that probably a lot of the other, MP, other MPs were in their offices and watching the live stream. So we we were getting messages out because most of them, I think, even if they're interested, they just don't want to be seen in public with those that are really protesting. And to, to give you the example, you know, I've gotten to know Andrew Bridgen pretty well. I've spent a fair amount of time with him and I've asked him questions. I'm like, you know, Andrew, you know, you're the only guy out there in public. I said, what about like your colleagues? Are you getting any private support? And he told me there's about two to three dozen MPs who cheer him on. Yeah, you you know, we're with you, Andrew, you know, keep doing what you're doing. But they're in the background silent, you know, like yep. he's literally like the sacrificial lamb. And 
I think in a number of countries that, you know, for instance, I, I know Sweden very well. There's uh, an MP, her name is Elsa. Um, I can't remember her last name, but she's also the only one in the Swedish government doing this. And so there is private support, but they're quiet. Um, but here, here's the thing. At the other meetings, not very many MPs showed up. But this one, I think it's over 20 uh, MPs from the House of Commons and Lords came out. And now a very famous politician I heard today, um, uh, Lady Andrea Jenkins, um, very well known, former MP, she came out in support of the parliament meeting and Andrew Bridgen. And so like, I feel like we're kind of moving the needle now. And like politically, some of the MPs are coming out to listen and learn and, and, and try to figure out what happened. And so you know, it's like pushing a rock up a hill. I mean, I've been I've been hammering away, screaming about all this stuff sure. for three years, and and I think like finally maybe we're getting some traction. But it's people like Andrew Bridgen who makes it happen. Exactly, and I, I have a prediction after this break. You're listening to the Reckoning on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. They say that everybody has a podcast these days, and I recently found out that Roseanne Barr has one, so I guess it's true. Now I soured on Roseanne. When she did this at a Padres game back in 1990. Well, here she is 33 years later on a podcast, hers with none other than Tucker Carlson. Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to the Roseanne Barr Podcast. I got a good one today. I got the guest of all guests. How do you feel about Trump saying he would consider you for vice oh, president? Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I put that in the category of asteroids striking the earth. <laughs> good or bad, uh, it's so far out the side, outside of my control that I, you know, would I'm, you, I'm flattered. Yeah, it is flattering, isn't it? For sure, but I mean, it's hard to, you know, I've never been in politics, I've never. Would you ever do it? Would I accept? Yeah, if you really have to think about that. Um, I mean, I spent my whole life looking at politicians and commenting on them and passing judgment on them. And I've never run for, you know, room mother. And so the idea of that is so far from anything I've ever done, it's kind of hard even to imagine. I didn't hear the word no. (laughs) Did you? Thanks, Roseanne. And thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time right here on TNT Radio Vision. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Healing, nurturing, rescuing, protecting, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. The Nonprofit Alliance. Well, welcome to The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Here, you said it took you a while to figure out what was going on, but March of 2020 is, is very early days. I was at CPAC in 2020 down at National Harbor, and it wasn't until we got back that the ACC basketball tournament was canceled and and all of these things started to roll. So March of 2020, you picked up on it pretty clearly, pretty early. And that's something that has made me feel good during this entire 
debacle. I mean, I'm trained as a biologist, so it really upset me with the scientific and medical communities pushing things that not only were bad science, they were anti-science, right? Yes. It's not that they were, it's not that, well, we thought this and it turned out not to be, but we were doing our best. No, because everything they were pushing was anti-science. And it's, it's heartening to me and to others that people of the statue, stature of, of you, a leading pulmonary researcher, Dr. Peter McCullough, America's premier cardiologist, uh, other doctors, Dr. Malone, uh, Angus Deglish in the United Kingdom, cancer researcher. Wait, Tim, let me interrupt. I'm sorry. Paul Marek, my partner, is the most published practicing intensivist in the history of our specialty. I was saving him for last because he is the most published. And and, and Peter's the most published uh, cardiologist yes. and American. Uh, the people leading this movement for truth are at the top of their individual specialties. And yet, and yet, here you have your regulatory bodies, your, your colleges of, of physicians and surgeons, your state medical licensing boards, et cetera, coming after you guys and, and coming after your livelihoods and your professional credentials. It's, I think they've really beclowned themselves. It's not been their finest hour. No, no. And, and, you know, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, I'm not an infectious disease specialist or, or anyone who's studied pandemics or pandemic control before. Right. Yeah. In fact, so much so that like when we started to lock down, you know, stay at home, you know, flatten the curve, you know, I was, I was like, okay, cool. That's what we have to do. <laughs> and that's what I was, I was running in ICU. So I wasn't really staying at home, but sure. But then I come to find but, but out. Let me just stop you right there for a second, Pierre. Yeah. That's Please. what flatten the curve was about. It was about reducing the rate at which everybody would get it because we knew everybody was going to get it, even though I still haven't had it, despite all my travels and, and everything else. It was to prevent a tidal wave just absolutely swamping you guys in the ICUs. Yes. That's what it was originally for. And then it just morphed into this monster. Yeah. But yeah, the, the but yes, I think my point about lockdowns is that once I started to study, you know, pandemics, like it was settled science around pandemic experts, infectious disease experts for decades that lockdowns were not an appropriate or effective strategy and that the harms outweighed the benefits. Yet, what did the world do? Lockdown. You know, and, and like this, this was that was a sci true scientific consensus. And then it got thrown out the window. And, and so, you know, I, I just found, like, like you said, the theme of this is, is just how divorced from the science it, 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 everything was. And um, it got so bad. And obviously, my area of expertise, you know, and you said when I figured things out early, my point, Tim, is not that I figured it out. It's that I started to be like, what? In March. But I didn't really fully answer like this is completely about something else until I would say after my testimony and Ivermectin and then after the natural immunity thing, I, I realized that this, this was about nothing, but this was not about public health. This is not about our welfare. This is about uh, other uh, objectives and aims. And, 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 you know, it's the, we always use the blue pill, red pill analogy. So I was a total right. blue pill. You know, I trusted, I had implicit faith and trust in the institutions of society, institutions of science. I believed in the medical journals and the professional societies and the experts. 
And I came to find out that that was all really a facade. Yeah. And the other thing is the there's an un not unknown, but a a player in all of this that hasn't gotten its due notoriety. And that is the insurance companies, because so much of this was driven by the insurance companies and really enabled by Obamacare. And if it weren't for the insurance companies and the states putting on all sorts of spiffs for a COVID diagnosis, for getting a jab, for using remdesivir, for using a ventilator, I don't know that things would have progressed the way that they did or as quickly as they did. I think the insurance companies bear a large measure of responsibility for this entire debacle. Tim, let me let me ask you a question about that. I, I haven't figured out the insurance companies because this is how I look at the insurance companies. They literally were going after doctors, sending them letters who would try yeah. to prescribe early treatment drugs that were effective. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is just basic thinking. I'm like, why would an insurance company go after a doctor who could literally prevent someone from requiring hospitalization and a huge medical bill. Like that didn't make sense. You would think the insurance companies would want the doctors to do whatever they exactly patient. So why, why, why did they behave like that? What well, did they, they were getting do? reimbursed by the government. Ex At the end of the day, this entire thing was footed by the American taxpayer and taxpayers around the world in their respective countries. This was yeah. the that was the transfer, the largest transfer of public monies into private pockets in the history of modern economies. Yeah, it, the scale is unimaginable. But yes, you're and then right. look you what they did to small businesses. It was also the largest transfer of wealth from the middle class to the upper class. It was the largest transfer of wealth from small businesses to big box stores. Everything about this was about taking from the little guys and giving it to the big guys. Yeah, and and so many of us were asking those questions. How come I can go to to Costco or Wal or Walgreens, but yeah. I can't go to the, like uh, you know? How come I can go to the liquor store, but I can't go to church? How come I can go to the strip bar, but I can't go to church? And I, you know, the point of the, all of this, Tim, you you're aware of it. I'm aware of it now. Um, I think the numbers who have, you know, we we always use these terms: blue pill, red pill. Who's awake? Not woke, mm -hmm. awake, meaning awake, meaning aware of aware. Yeah. aware of the fact that, that there's a lot of manipulation, propaganda and censorship. And, and you know, this, you know, you, you just talked about like all of these eminent doctors of which I'm honored to be a, a part of, not as accomplished as many of my colleagues that I spoke about. Like you talked about, I mean, Malone was literally the guy who should have won the Nobel Prize. Right. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. he wanted to develop that technology as the inventor. Um, Paul Merrick, Angus Dalgleish, you know, I'm honored, but the way that they attack some of the most accomplished physicians in their careers and specialties is a form of censorship, right? By calling us conspiracy theorists and anti-vaxxers and fringe and quack and radical and right wing, and they, they throw all of these adjectives. It's just to make us discredit enough so people don't listen to us. It's actually censoring right. actions. That's what they do. They don't want people to think that I'm credible so that what I say, which is truth, right? What, what is the enemy of propaganda? The truth. And the propagandists go after the truth tellers. And, and you saw perfect examples of that with that UK parliament hearing, the way the Telegraph went after us and all of it. Exactly. Well, even the way that it all went down, okay? I want to get back to that for a second. Because 
we have ostensibly a conservative government in the United Kingdom, right? Ostensibly. Who, ostensibly. So who moved you from the 300-seat meeting room to the, the smaller meeting room? It, it seems like they took a play, a play out of the Boston Celtics playbook, right? We've got this rickety old parquet floor with dead spots in it, and only the Celtics know precisely where the dead spots are. And we're going to turn off the hot water in the showers in the visiting locker room, and we're going to crank up their crank up the place to, you know, seventy five degrees. Tim, and, let me give you and, a quick little example. Know, it was home field advantage, about. but my, my yeah, but my point is, who did all this? Go ahead. That that I don't know. It's it's those in power, conservative. I, I don't think this is. I mean. If we want to pretend that there's really big differences between the two parties, especially in this country, we we know they're all working for the same masters. But but I, I just want to give you a little another additional little example of what you just talked about, like with the Celtics. So when we were in the room and we we're giving our talks at some point in the lineup, um, they wanted to play the video uh, testimony of Peter McCullough and Michael, uh, Dr. Michael Eden. And those were pre-recorded, and we were supposed to play them on the little television that was in the room. They went to play the recordings. There was no sound. The television was muted. There was no remote in the room. And when they called for AV support or help, there was no AV support or help. Now, Andrew quipped, like, that could just be institutional incompetence, but it seems awfully coincidental, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm surprised there wasn't a fire alarm pulled. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely right. You're absolutely it right. It seems to be one of their favorite techniques, right? Exactly. I mean, they, 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 yeah, I don't know who they are, but uh, I mean, it's just it's been such a small minority of us who've been, you know, publicly um, active at resisting and really pointing out the brazenness. And, you know, one one other thought and something I've said in, in the past few years is like, in medicine and in science, in my career, I'm so used to debating topics, and there's always a lot of gray area around stuff. Like we always sure. have incomplete data yeah. knowledge around stuff. Like, you know, like for instance, I'm an expert at airway management, which is like intubating people, ultrasound. And so I'd have these really rich discussions where we debate what we thought was better than not better, or what was ideal. But there was gray area. Like this COVID is like black and white. I've never seen the data so piled so high against what the prevailing consensus and narrative is it, it's it's an absolute joke and i've never been in this position it's, it's very disorienting and almost dystopian which is like the science and the data is so large against almost every aspect of how they've managed this pandemic and how they continue trying to boost everyone i mean the vaccines are dead they've been dead you know as far as the data to support their safety and efficacy so long ago and yet our public health agencies around the world are still encouraging our population to get their latest booster. It, it, it's, I, it, I don't even under, I don't even, I don't even recognize the world that I thought I lived in. Yeah, to get your latest booster that's directed toward the variant that was popular last last year. I mean, it's not even it's not even the current variant that's out there, which, by all reports, is you know Mueller's ratchet. It's mutated down to the, where it's basically just a head cold. I said before I have a prediction. I've got a prediction. I'll share it now. I'm going to put on my, my Karnak the Magnificent turban, right? Everyone who has been out front on this, you, Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, Dr. 
uh, Fleming, uh, all of them, you're going to never get the credit you deserve, but, but everything you've been saying, the media will pretty soon just report it as, well, that's common knowledge. Everybody knew that. And do a totally memory hole on all of the narrative on the other side that I, I think ultimately, because none of you did this for fame and certainly not for fortune. It's cost a lot of you an awful lot of money. I think that everything that you've been saying, all the truth that you collectively have been pushing is going to become known as the dominant standard. That that's, Wait, that's Tim, the reality of what happened. You're referring to, uh, I think it's Schopenhauer, right? The the axiom of Schopenhauer, yeah. which is first they, uh, I think, I can't, I'm, I'm going to try it. Maybe you know it better. First they ridicule you, then they attack you, and then they then they claim those truths as self-evident. Like, yeah. oh, of course, we knew this all along, you know, but but meanwhile, I've under, endured three years of uh, various attacks and, and ridicule, right? But I, I yeah. hope you're right. If, if that axiom is true, you are correct. That will happen eventually. And I don't know if it's about that or I, I just want to help people avoid this, you know, what Ed Dowd calls a democide. I mean, literally, it's our experts and agencies which have, you know, wrought such human ca catastrophes, really. Um, they I really mean, have. Right now, yeah, I yeah I'm going off by memory now, but my I'm going off by memory. But I think what Schopenhauer said was first they ignore you, then they ridicule you, then they hate you, and then you win. And I, I think we're at this point where you guys are about to win. I hope so. I hope so. But um, yeah, you know, I just, uh, it, it's just so sad, the whole thing, because um, it's not only all the, the needless deaths that we watch, but, you know, yeah. right now, my career, I specialize in the treatment of long COVID and long backs. Um, these are chronic uh, syndromes very much almost identical to chronic fatigue syndromes, but they're disabling, they're debilitating. Long vax is way more common than long COVID, meaning most of these people got sick after the vaccine, not COVID, but th these people- yeah, we've, only, we've only got a minute. Do you think that long vax really is vaccine injury? Do you think it's a sequelae of, of the vaccine? It's one, oh, there's not even a question. It's the same syndrome as long COVID, but the vaccine triggers it. And it's only one form of vaccine injury. This is the chronic illness that, that resides. A lot of people think of vaccine injuries as acute reactions, anaphylaxis, right. pericarditis, myocarditis. No, this is the chronic form of vaccine injury. And it is at very high rates and people's lives have been destroyed. It's not only the dead people. These are people who are suffering every day of their lives, even now, two years, three years after the vaccine. Yeah, it's horrible. We're going to have to leave it there. Let's have you back and we'll go into that further. And I'm sure by then we'll have a lot more to talk about, Pierre. Dr. Pierre Corey, can't thank you enough. Uh, tell people quickly how they can find you on social media. Uh, yeah, Pierre Corey on uh, social. I think that's me or maybe Pierre Corey MD. But uh, most important, my nonprofit, flccc.net. Um, and then uh, my Substack is Pierre Corey Medical Musings. Um, I write a lot on there that people seem to enjoy uh, the information I provide. Um, well, so you're, you're providing great information. We're, we're happy to have you as a friend of the show here, Pierre. God bless and happy Christmas. That's Thanks, it for Tim. tonight's Reckoning. Stay tuned on TNT Radio for the Havorier Morin Show. I'm Timothy Shea. Until next time, God bless you. God bless these United States. Keep fighting the good fight. <laughs>